Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 67 of The Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, I'm sharing all about how you can get started with kettlebell training, the three most important moves you need to master first, and the biggest misconception about kettlebells that will save your arms so much misery. So my first experience with kettlebells was back when I started doing strength and conditioning, and they definitely seemed different, right? It's the whole thing is weight. There's not really a handle, but there sort of is, and you can hold it a bunch of different ways. So as far as equipment goes, they're really, really versatile. Now in my garage gym, I only have one kettlebell, it's 30 pounds, and a set of dumbbells. And even with that, I'm able to do pretty much much anything that I want to do, and I still use my kettlebell as often as possible. And they're amazing for a number of reasons. Now, they challenge your core strength, they challenge your balance, they definitely challenge your coordination. My brain seems to be working harder when I use them as well, because you can't help but think, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. (laughs) Uh, My grip strength is way better since starting to use my kettlebell, and you can change how much work you're doing or how much the intensity is based on how you hold it. Now, if you've never used a kettlebell ever, let me see if I can describe it to you. So a kettlebell has a body to it. It's sort of um, round-ish. And then it has a handle that I believe is called the horn of the kettlebell. So imagine like a little purse. Now I'm sure, I mean, a little, it's relative, right? If you have a very heavy kettlebell, it's not that little. But you know, like a roundish purse with a handle is what a kettlebell looks like. It's the only thing I can think of comparatively if you aren't familiar with kettlebells. Now in many gyms and workout locations, they often won't let you use the kettlebells unless there's a trainer around because they're so worried that you're probably going to drop it or throw it uh, while you're doing something called a kettlebell swing. But I promise you, you can learn how to use kettlebells safely, just like you can learn to walk safely, right? You can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. So where to even start? And I guess I should also say that learning to walk and using kettlebells aren't really the same thing, but I just don't want you to be scared about starting with kettlebell training because it's a great versatile way to strengthen your body and it doesn't have to be as intimidating as the fitness industry might want you to think. So that's my goal today is to make kettlebells less scary so that you are encouraged to get started. So when you are starting off, I did some research on the internet, (laughs) dear Google, um, how heavy of a kettlebell should I start with? And according to the internet, eight kilograms or an 18 pound kettlebell are a great place to start. And that might be more than you have ever lifted. But remember, you can use a kettlebell in a number of different ways. Uh, So you want something heavier. 
When I got my kettlebell, Amazon was shipping them for free still. I know now that there's so many people working out from home, they're a little bit hard to come by. Uh, You might fall into the trap of a website that looks like it's selling kettlebells and really is just a sham. One of my friends fell into that. And they're really expensive to ship because they're heavy. My poor male person, I felt very bad. Thankfully, we didn't have to lock eyes as they delivered my kettlebell (laughs) because it's heavy. Um, So I started with 30 pounds because I already had some experience with kettlebells. I knew about how much I used for deadlifting and squats and things like that. And so I chose something a little bit heavier knowing that I could work up to it. Now, my dumbbells at home are 25 pounds, and I kind of just go back and forth between those two. Um, And to be honest, there still are some things that I'm not strong enough to do with my kettlebell yet. Um, So having that option of something just a little bit lighter, which in my case is just five pounds, is really, really, really good. So I encourage you to opt for something a little bit heavier than you think you can do, because then you can at least grow into it. You can at least get stronger instead of having a weight that you're going to spend all this money on. And then a month from now, you're like, oh, well, everything is really easy now. So go a little bit heavier. The difference in if it's a kilogram weighted bell or in pounds, it just depends on the manufacturer. The diehard kettlebell enthusiasts are going to tell you that like, you know, kilograms are so important and um, just whatever works. Okay. A little bit heavier, just whatever works. Now, when you are shipping them online, I know they look so expensive, but again, they are heavy, heavy, heavy. They're essentially solid iron. That's what it is. So instead of, you know, think of a a barbell, for example, that's 40 pounds. So instead of this long metal thing, it's just compressed into one cute little purse. (laughs) You know, if a cute little purse was black and and metal, they actually, they do have kind of cool ones. I know there's some companies that do almost like crafted ones where they're the shape of animals. And I just, I went for the cheap one, not going to lie. So you do pay for your kettlebell by weight. So heavier kettlebells are going to be more expensive, but do not use that as an excuse to get a lighter kettlebell. Remember about eight kilograms or 18 pounds. Um, If you already know that that's going to be too light for you, then go for heavier you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, but definitely challenge yourself and places to look, you know, you can look at Craigslist. You can look at neighborhood apps for options to buy them. The great thing about a kettlebell is you can absolutely sanitize it. It has no parts that are going to break. So you don't necessarily need to buy brand new. I did see on social media in this time during the quarantine, um, somebody doing, it was actually uh, Melissa Urban of the whole 30. She created the whole 30. Um, she was doing, I think like not swings. She's doing deadlifts and the whole handle essentially of her kettlebell just broke off. So, you know, don't skimp, but don't worry about buying used, I guess is the moral of that story. And today is not an exhaustive list of everything and anything you can do with a kettlebell. But if you're thinking of getting started, these are definitely things that you should be learning first. These are the movements that you should have under your tool belt uh, before, you know, going on social media, finding some crazy moves. And next thing you know, you're flipping kettlebells and doing things like that. So the first move to master is the hip hinge. And I have talked about the hip hinge before. It is one of the best moves that you can learn for your body, especially if you have tight hamstrings, you have tight hips, and you often have lower back pain. Because chances are, 
if your lower back hurts and your hips are tight, you're not hip hinging right now. And not to say like in this moment, you're bending over and it's not a hip hinge. Um, but I mean, the way you move most often is probably not in a true hip hinge. So what is a hip hinge? If you were standing up tall and imagine somebody just like whacked you across the front of your hips, right at that hip crease so that your hips went back as you bent over. And I hope you are doing this as I'm talking about it because I definitely am. So that's a hip hinge. When you bend just from the hips and your knees can slightly bend as well, but it's bending from the hips rather than the lower back. And your glutes and your hamstrings were designed to support that movement. That's why our hamstrings are so powerful and our glutes are so powerful. But because we lose the mechanics of how to do a hip hinge, we tend to bend from our lower backs. And our lower backs are made for movement, but not that type of movement all the time. And so opportunities to infuse hip hinging, not just in your workouts, but also just throughout your day so it becomes easier to do and easier to feel and sense in your body um, would be even brushing your teeth at the sink, right? You bend over to spit out the toothpaste. Are you hip hinging or are you bending from your lower back? Now, I just started, sorry for the, we're going down a side path here. I just started the curly girl method for curly hair. If you have curly hair, like, please tell me what you have worked out, especially if you have hair that's like type 2C, 3A. Um, anyways, everyone else has no idea what we're talking about. But even as I wash my hair, I've been washing my hair with my head upside down now. That's another opportunity to do a hip hinge. And I'm going to tell you now, your hips and hamstrings will get tired because they have to work. But the flip side of that is that your lower lower back is safely supported and stabilized by your core. And so hip hinging and just infusing it how you move about your day is another way to just continue to get stronger with every movement that you do rather than have all of those movements break your body down. And it's a great way, like I said, to strengthen core control and protect your lower back. And honestly, it's just almost like I want to say insurance policy, and I don't think that's really, you know, the right descriptor for it. But if you can hip hinge, and that is your habitual pattern, you do that even when you're not thinking about it. That means even when you're tired, even if things are a little bit sloppy, even if you're moving fast, your body will still default to that pattern. And that's why it's so important to master that first. So we're not even talking about what to do with a kettlebell yet. This is just something like do this step first, and then you'll be ready for kettlebell training. And the hip hinge is one of the movements I call the big three. And these are foundational to what I teach inside movement mavens because they form pretty much every single movement and exercise you're ever going to do. So starting with a hip hinge means that your lifting technique is going to be even better for every lift that you do. And even if you have started weightlifting, like go back to the basics, go master the hip hinge, practice it and infuse it into your warm up, infuse it into your day. I mean, literally as I'm washing my hair, I'm thinking about hip hinging and I definitely make sure it's a part of my warm up as well so that I don't have to think about it as much as I'm doing things where I'm moving quickly during my workout. So hip hinge it up. I do have a video of how to do the hip hinge on my YouTube channel. You can just go check it out. I'll also put it in the show description as well, but you must hip hinge before you kettlebell. And kettlebell isn't a verb, but you know what I mean. 
All right, so what about the next step? Because now you're like, okay, you told me we're going to talk about getting started with kettlebells, and that's not about kettlebells. Okay, so if you add a kettlebell to your hip hinge, hey, guess what? It's called a deadlift. And this is the second move that you definitely want to master as you progress towards kettlebell training. And that's not to say that a deadlift is a very basic move. I mean, it's fairly simple in that it's just a hip hinge, but the variations that you can create make it a great exercise to do all the time. I try to get deadlifts into pretty much every workout I do because I like them, but also for all the same reasons why hip hinges are great because of that core control and hamstring and hips. And it sets you up to have really great lifting technique for picking up laundry, which is so heavy. I mean, I really underestimate how heavy laundry is. But once you are confident with your hip hinging, that's when you can start to add weight and start to play with deadlifts. And you'll know right away if your hip hinging is on point and your form is on point if you can do deadlifts in your workout and not have back pain. Oftentimes what happens, especially as the weight increases, uh, is that people look for outside stability. And maybe you've seen an image of or video or on social media of somebody with a weight belt to protect and stabilize their lower back as they're doing things like deadlifting. So in my opinion, I mean, there's issues with weight belts anyways, because they're changing the pressure dynamics of your core, which can put a lot of extra pressure on the pelvic floor, which brings its own host of issues. But it's sort of like a crutch, like anything else. So in my mind, and in the style of training I do, which is I just want to be more human. I want to be strong for real life and daily life. And then, of course, I want to do a pull-up, okay? But that's not unreasonable, all right? So if I'm lifting some amount of weight that is so much that I can't manage it on my own without the addition of a weight belt, that weight is probably too much. And so back off, master the foundations, nail that hip hinge so you can do it with your eyes closed upside down, and then deadlifting shouldn't hurt your back. Honestly, any weight training that you do, whether it's with kettlebells or anything else, shouldn't hurt you. And there's a difference between feeling sore, like you did some work and bad pain and having, you know, physical pain. So definitely pay attention. And if while you're deadlifting, you feel anything in your back or the next day, your lower back is extra sore, chances are your hip hinge needs to be tuned up just a little bit. And you're probably not keeping your spine stabilized as you bend over. Another thing I've seen, even in myself, as I was learning to deadlift and hip hinge, and I'll say too, this is one of the reasons why I like sharing things on social media, videos and pictures and whatever, because every video and picture is a diagnostic of how I'm moving. So film yourself, set up a camera, hit record, watch how you're deadlifting. And all that you're looking for is what's happening in your lower back as you stand up. Because what can happen, you get all set up, everything's perfect, and then you go to lift and your lower back rounds. And so that's what we're looking to avoid. So master the hip hinge and then master the deadlift. And if your deadlift hurts, go back and work on the hip hinge a little bit more. 
And the deadlift is a great foundation. I guess that's our repeat word today, but is a great foundation for so many different things. You can change up your foot positions to make deadlifting more or less difficult. You know, you can have both feet on the ground. You can have one foot in front of the other. You can be up on the toes of one foot. So it's like a kickstand. You can reach one foot back behind you. So it's more like warrior three in yoga. You can add rows to this. So you have some upper body work. I've even done burpee deadlifts, which are the whole terrible, wonderful exercise. So there's a bunch of different ways to incorporate deadlifts into your workout. So if you're like, wait, I can only do one lift. Like there's so many other things. It's just, that's the foundation piece, right? It's sort of like with baking. If you don't have flour, or I guess no, if you don't have some sort of butter, is it even really baking? I know you're going to say, but what about the vegan? Mm, Is it even really baking? You can see where my allegiances lie when it comes to baking. (laughs) So, and sorry, if you really like vegan bacon stuff, bacon, it sounds like I'm saying, no, vegan baking stuff. I, I haven't had it and I can't make it. It always comes out terrible. And so I'm talking trash about it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But master your deadlift, master your hip hinge. And then let's talk about squats. Because can we even talk about building strength if we're not also talking about squats? And this is another one of those big three, those foundational pieces that I teach to my clients. Because if you can squat well, you're honestly set up for pretty much every other movement, right? Changing up your stance to make it more or less difficult. Uh, All of a sudden, a squat is now a lunge, a front lunge, or a back lunge, or a side lunge, or a sliding lunge, like that if you can't squat well, so many other things are also going to be impacted. And when it comes to kettlebell training, you can change up how you're holding the kettlebell to have different challenges. You can hold it on one side to have that asymmetrical work and have your core have to stabilize a little bit more. Um, You can do something called bottoms up training where you hold the handle and the body of the kettlebell is up towards the ceiling, which is the most intense shoulder work ever. So I don't do that at home because 30 pounds is way too much. Um, But even playing with like eight or 10 pounds is fun if you have access to that. So I'm not even taking my own advice. You know, maybe you do want a light kettlebell around or, or yeah, maybe, but I'm saying if you're, if you're doing the shoestring budget garage gym with the spiders, like I have, then go heavier and then just think about accessory work when we can get back to the gyms and do all that. So another cool thing about kettlebells, but also while squatting, is you can do a hold called the hang, which is where you're holding the kettlebell sort of like a suitcase next to you, uh, which is different than if you have it in a front rack position, which is with your elbow bent and pointing forward and the weight is resting on your shoulder. So even just changing up those, you know, in the way you're holding the kettlebell while you're squatting can alter how your legs and your core and how the movement is felt throughout your entire body. And another reason why squats are so important is because they are the base of the kettlebell swing, which is essentially a dynamic squat deadlift hybrid. And when people think kettlebells, I know I thought kettlebell swing. and I was like, how do you do that? It must be so easy. And it's not. It's really not uh, because you need to be able to 
squat well, but you also need to be able to deadlift well and be able to do those even when you're moving quickly and even when you're tired. So if you spend months working on deadlifts and squats before you start a kettlebell swing, like that's totally fine. And squats are also the base of, you know, snatches and thrusters and clean and presses and a ton of other just weightlifting lifts, not just kettlebells, but just in general. So start with those, master those, and then you can start to get fancy. And speaking of fancy, with the more complicated dynamic lifts, one thing to always remember is that the path of your kettlebell or weight should be the shortest possible, meaning you're trying to get the kettlebell from the floor to overhead if that's what you're doing. And what often happens and like the biggest mistake I know I made when I first started with kettlebell training and what I see my clients doing when they first start is trying to have your arms do too much of the work. Now, that's also another reason to get a heavier kettlebell because it's not about your shoulders doing the work. Kettlebell, especially the kettlebell swing, is about using and moving the kettlebell with your lower body, not your arms. All of the work comes from that momentum, but also your legs controlling it. Essentially, it's up to your core and arms to stop and stabilize the kettlebell, but not to do most of the movement or initiate the movement. So again, just put a pin in it. Kettlebell swings are awesome and they're super fun. But if your arms are smoked after you do them and not from gripping, but just because your shoulders are tired, then chances are you're probably not doing kettlebell swings in a super mechanically efficient way. Go back to the drawing board, go back to squats, go back to hip hinges, go back to deadlifts before progressing. Because really the kettlebell swing is like a deadlift that you stand up from with just explosive power through your hips. And it's the power of your legs that moves the bell, not your shoulders. So if you're like, no, but I want to do the kettlebell swing, please, 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 then start with something that I like to call the kettlebell rockers. And so if you are in a squat and you have your hands on the kettlebell and the kettlebell is on the ground in front of you, so hopefully you can picture this, a kettlebell rocker is when you use your hips to you know, lift your hips up maybe like one or two inches and pick the kettlebell up at the same time, right? Your whole body comes up about one or two inches, but you're still in that squat shape. And so swing the kettlebell back between your legs and then set it back forward down in front of you. So your whole movement is up and down, maybe two inches. Like it's really a small amount of movement, but the kettlebell is then swinging back and forth. Because if you can do this and maintain the position of your spine and make sure that you're not using your shoulders to move the kettlebell and you don't have any discomfort or pain, that's a good place to then start to progress to kettlebell swings. Now, definitely go on YouTube, watch videos of people doing swings, watch a couple so that you get more input rather than just watching one and taking it as the gospel. Because I can tell you right now, there is a lot of nonsense on the internet. Because remember YouTube, anybody can make a YouTube video. Anybody. They don't need to know what they're doing. All they need is a camera. That's it. So watch a couple videos to see it, but just file away those kettlebell rockers into the back of your head as something to play with going forward. And sometimes if I don't feel like doing kettlebell swings, I'll just do the rockers and your legs will be smoked. So it's a good workout. 
And all of this is to say that kettlebell and strength training just in general have been one of the best things that I've done for my body. Even as somebody with hyperflexibility, I just have a tendency to be extra flexible. Strength training has not decreased my flexibility. If anything, it's made it feel more stable and I feel more stable in my body. And when you feel more stable and you feel more strong, you just feel more just comfortable and honestly at home. And for me, it's also been a journey towards feeling safer inside my body. And so if you're, you know, starting on the path or even just considering it, or you've already started and you're having some difficulties or things are starting to hurt, go back to the basics, work on your hip hinge, work on your deadlift, work on your squats and keep on training. And I'm also curious to hear from you how things are going to change for you post quarantine. The gyms are just opening up as I'm recording this. I believe gyms are opening up either on Monday or Friday. It's a Thursday right now. So it's happening really, really, really soon. And now having worked out at home for three months, I've fallen into a rhythm that I really, really, really like. A friend and I meet on FaceTime every Tuesday morning. Um, This morning when I did my workout, I did one with uh, somebody off YouTube and it was so much fun. I don't know that I personally want to go back to the gym um, only because I don't want to get in the car and have to go there. Like my commute is 45 seconds now and I really like that. So I'm curious to hear from you. Are you excited to go back to the gym? Have you built out your garage gym? Are you considering building out your garage gym? And I say all of this knowing that I am super lucky to A, have a garage, which is not something that we always had in the places that we've lived in the past. And also that it's safe enough to just be in my alley working out. I know that, but it has been awesome. Um, and I do like, I like working out at home because I can wear my ratty shirts. Nobody can see me. And also just to kind of circle back for what things are going on in the world. I wrote this note in my notes. The revolution is long, my friends right? We have a long road ahead of us of standing in our power, of standing up for what we believe in, for taking a stand on many, many, many issues. And you need to be strong to have the endurance to make it all the way through. So this is not just about physical toughness. This is about mental toughness and physical endurance and mental endurance and strength training and kettlebells are a great way to get there uh, to help you become more centered so that you can then go out and make the change that you want to see in the world. So I'm here for you for that. Let me know if you have questions about kettlebell training. Um, Let me know how your kettlebell training is going. Let me know if you are establishing your garage gym or if you're excited to go back to the gym. Honestly, either way, I'm excited for the next chapter. And don't forget, you can hit me up on Instagram. You can send me a DM. You can tag me. I'm at Hala Famala. I love screenshots of the episode. Let me know what your favorite part was. Or you can call the Body Nerd Hotline at 818-396-6501. And I will post that number in the description as well. And don't forget that show notes, fun links, free downloads, a body nerds group, everything I talk about on every single show is over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And also, thank you. Seriously, thank you for taking the time to listen today. I like to imagine as I'm standing here in my office recording that you're getting some movement or maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to go plan some movement. I just hope that there's some movement in your day because it's so good for your body, your mind, and your spirit. 
And if you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a huge favor, hit that subscribe button, leave a review on whatever podcast platform that you are listening on. Obviously, I love all reviews. Five stars are the best. (laughs) Or also just share this with somebody who needs to hear this today. Share it with your workout buddy. Share it with your partner. Share it with your gym buddies, whoever. Just share it. And here's to asking better questions, moving more, dusting off our kettlebells, and getting nerdy. Thank you so much for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and that you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks, and body work is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. Head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.